Hey, buddy. Wow, that's a lot of Roman candles. Why, why are they duct taped to that child's wagon? I'm making a rocket car. Hand me that lawn chair, would you? Oh, sure. Um, here you go. Um, why are you making a rocket car? I'm going to use this oscillation overthruster I made to travel to the eighth dimension. Oh, so that tin can with nails driven in it. Yeah, it was easier to build than I thought it was going to be. I bet it was. Listen, Jason. Ah, Saskatoon Jerry. What? Saskatoon Jerry. It's my Hong Kong Cavalier name. Of course it is. All right, I'm getting into the rocket car. It's pointed at a brick wall. Duh, how else can I travel to the eighth dimension? I guess I should try to talk you out of this. Has that ever worked? Not really. Exactly. So, light the candle. Okay, see you at the hospital. At the hospital! Hello, everyone, and welcome to Late Seating. I am Jason Harding. And I'm Steve Shives. And on this show, we take a classic movie and see if it lives up to its reputation, whether that reputation is good or bad. And this time around, uh, its reputation is weird. Its reputation is it's weird. Yeah. It's it's one of those where, like, at first the reputation was bad, but now it's kind of good, depending some on who you ask. Some people There were some really high-profile... Pro- high critics at the time that really liked it, but I don't think anyone else got it. Yeah. Well, some people got it. I got it. <laughs> people people like me got it. <laughs> got it a little too much. <laughs> it was too, too powerful to our psyches. <laughs> it spoke directly to our brains. Let's just say we dug it. <laughs> we really dug it. What movie are we talking about? This is my birthday movie. That's right. This is your birthday movie, and you picked this movie. I did. And so for your birthday, we are... I made you watch it. (laughs) And I did. We are reviewing that cult classic, 1984 science fiction, action, adventure, comedy, everything else movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai Across the Eighth Dimension. Hooray! This is great. This is great. This is the best. I love it. I love this movie. The end of show. I don't want I don't want Steve to say anything bad about Let's, it or I'll kill him. It's the I'll last kill him. It's the end of our shortest episode ever. That's right. It's good. Only listen to Jason. Don't let Steve get his teeth in it. <laughs> Jason likes it and Steve presumably has an opinion. Okay, uh, oh. so for everybody, um I don't know how many times I watched this movie. I know I watched it a lot once it finally made it to VHS, but I watched it four times in the movie theater. Once with my dad, and then every subsequent time I grabbed one of my nerdy friends and dragged them into the movie theater to watch it. So I brainwashed them too. It was like Invasion of the Body Snatchers. I'd find someone new and drag them in there. My girlfriend tolerated it at the time, but that was great because it improved my wardrobe significantly. <laughs> significantly. For the 80s. So, so you, started, you, watched... you started dressing like New Jersey. No. <laughs> Although I did buy one of those shirts because of this movie. Did you really? Yeah, one of those bib shirts. Big double-breasted like cowboy shirts. Red. Yeah. yeah. Same color, everything. Wore it to a dance. 
It was the 80s. Yeehaw! You could do that. You could wear two belts of different colors. Nobody was going to stop you. buy thrift, thrift store sports jackets and flip the collar up and stuff and not tie your tie. I had a whole bunch <laughs> of ties. I was wearing ties and high. Look, guys. It was cool. expected. <laughs> it was the 80s. It was the 80s. Right. That's what I was supposed to do is get a mullet and a rat tail and, and moose my hair up. What did you want me to do? Get an earring. <laughs> Jeez, stop judging me, you kids with all your taste. Yeah, because all of our modern fashions will age perfectly well. And none, nobody will be embarrassed by anything. that everyone seems to be wearing now? <laughs> I can't wait until we're in gray jumpsuits, everybody. Yay. Yippee. So Steve, yes. do you have any trivia? You better have I, some. I have a, a few items of trivia that I'm sure you already know. I'll pretend not to <laughs> know them and sound astonished. Maybe some of our listeners won't know this stuff yet. So, okay. Yeah. So first of all, uh, John Lithgow has a dialect coach that is credited on the movie, but it turns yes, out... Yes, he does. But his dialect coach... <laughs> wasn't really what you'd call a professional dialect coach. He was a guy no. who worked on the 20th Century Fox film lot, who spoke mm -hmm. with a very pronounced Italian accent. And right. John Lithgow heard him talk and was like, that's how I want to sound for my character. So he had this guy read his lines into a tape recorder, and then he right. would go back and study the tape. And that's yeah. how he found his accent for his character. He based it on this real guy with a real Italian accent. And he He's was a like... Costumer. Yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, so that's that's kind of and and as as a thank you, he got him a, a credit on the movie as a dialect coach. He could have easily have said he got Chef Boyardee to be the dialect coach for him. <laughs> I just watched a lot of really offensive, culturally insensitive cartoons, and that's how I found my accent. Um, also, this is my personal mm. favorite. Uh, okay. trivia bit from this movie that I have discovered. So so uh, a big MacGuffin in the movie is the oscillation overthruster that Buckaroo invents. The what? The oscillation overthruster. It's the first time I've heard of it. It's not like I really? heard them say that word, those words 50,000 times in the movie. It's kind of weird that as a big fan of this movie you'd never heard of it, but okay. Um, I pronounce it oscillation overthruster. The oscillation overthruster. Um... <laughs> The Buckaroo version, not uh, yes. not the Warfin version, <laughs> uh, and that prop is one of the most well-traveled props of the last what 30 40 years of american movies and tv because it has reappeared many times in yep. many different projects especially mm -hmm. in star trek where it has popped up throughout the movies and tng and ds9 uh -huh. repainted or held in different ways and it's it's usually some kind of a gadget that like the doctor yeah. is using or something um my personal favorite of the reuses that we find of this prop in star trek is Eagle-eyed viewers of the movie Star Trek First Contact will spot yeah. the oscillation overthruster mounted to the rear wall of the Phoenix, the starship that, <laughs> that breaks the warp bear, becomes the first Earth ship to fly at warp speed. Um, it is in the back of the cockpit right between uh, where Riker and Geordi sit. So in a few of those yeah. wide shots where you can see all three guys in the cockpit, if you look right between Jonathan Frakes and LeVar Burton on the wall, you see the yeah. oscillation overthruster mounted to the wall. Um, mm -hmm. So obviously there were quite a few Buckaroo Bonds Bonsai fans working on Star Trek uh, in the 80s and 90s. I have more proof of that. You do? Now that the next generation is being re-released on high def, mm -hmm. right? 
you can actually see what's written on a lot of those screens that appear on the Elkar screens yes. in the next generation. And on one particular one, they had written, I think it's a list of explorers and planets or something mm. like that. Yeah. And it literally says, Bonsai, Buckaroo, Planet 10. Yes, yes. <laughs> I think there's also, isn't there... Uh, again, it's one of those like on-screen displays that if you look at it, if you pause it at just the right moment, you can read it. Um, yeah. It's a list of of, comp- of internal components of data, and one of them is the oscillation overthruster. Is it really? Yeah, yeah. So, so according That's to... That's not what it was built for. <laughs> so data can travel to different dimensions? Um, and one last one. This is a cool one for me personally. It better be um, cool. The, of course, so of course we have that famous end title sequence where where we yeah. see the characters walking around uh, to the, yeah. to the beat of the music. Um, Used by Wes Anderson yeah, in the Life Aquatic. Right, exactly. Yeah, referenced very explicitly by Wes Anderson. Um, when they shot that scene, they did not yet have the music finalized. But mm-hmm. the director knew that he wanted the characters to be walking in time with the music. So they used a temp track with the same tempo of the song they were eventually going to have so that everybody right. would be walking you know, to the beat. <clears throat> and the temp track that they used was Uptown Girl by Billy Joel because it was <laughs> oh, the same tempo as the music they eventually used. So just imagine they're shooting, oh. they're shooting this iconic end title sequence with everybody walking <laughs> through like the, you know, the, 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 the aqueduct, uh, and they're and they are blaring Uptown Girl <laughs> while I they're want walking. To. Don't make me. Pay. Oh, it's in there now. Hey, it's, it's the there. '80s. You, it, it's part. It was all part of it. Oh, I have some trivia. Yes, I bet you do. <laughs> there it was. I'm only. Gonna, I'm gonna keep my lid. I'm gonna put a lid on it. Don't worry. You, it's it's your one thing. It's your birthday, man. You can let it out. Jamie Lee Curtis was in this movie. I've heard this. Yes. So you can watch this on YouTube. There is an original opening that gave more of a backstory to uh, Buckaroo Banzai, and it's basically home movies shot in the 50s that shows Jamie Lee Curtis and his father and gives a little bit more of an explanation about where he was and how his father died. And how his father died was he was about to send take his own jet car and travel and go through, uh, go through to the eighth dimension, but his jet car was sabotaged by the evil guy um oh what's his name hanoi something i can't remember hanoi Han oh yeah the guy like who was going to be the villain in the next movie if they had done right, another one yeah. exactly the head of the world crime league. yeah right um yeah the bomb was placed in there and his mom and i think it, well no it was, i think it was his only his dad died i can't remember but it's, it's an entire sequence that's that's uh that's um narrated by uh rawhide you know mm-hmm. clancy brown mm-hmm. and then that's when the movie was going to start it's kind of a down beginning yeah it's a very low energy opening to the movie so i can understand why they cut it but here's the here's and i'll get to this when we get to the who made it okay we'll get into that next part yes who made it okay my treasure trove of trivia which is called who made it (laughs) you ready for that let's open that let's open the treasure trove okay it was directed by wd richter um, he's mostly known as a writer. He wrote uh, Invasion of the remake of the Invasion of the Body Snatchers and Big Trouble in Little China, another one of my favorite movies. Yeah. Kind of along the same lines. Very similar in many ways, yeah. Yeah, very similar in many ways. Produced by W.D. Richter. Um, and uh, as a producer, he was an associate producer on Back to the Future. Written by Earl Mac Rausch. Now, here's the thing about Earl Mac Rausch. Uh, 
Uh, the only other thing that he had written was New York, New York, Martin Scorsese's worst film. And he also wrote Wired, that awful uh, biopic. Oh, the John Belushi biopic. The John Belushi biopic where he's a ghost. Yeah. Don't ever watch Not it. good. Not good. <laughs> Even though it has Michael Chiklis in like his first major role, boy, I'm surprised he recovered from he, that. He recovered from that very well. I yeah. did. Um, but he, or he had been working on this script for Buckaroo Banzai for like 10 years. And when they started production, he had a 300-page Bible of every draft that he ever wrote. He had a problem. He would write 30 pages and then lose interest. <laughs> and so they eventually started combining everything into this script, right? And then the script had a Bible of all of the backstory of everything that took place off screen right right so if you get a feeling that there's a whole lot to buckaroo bonsai that you're not being told that's because there is a whole <laughs> lot to buckaroo bonsai that you're not being told <laughs> starring peter weller as dr buckaroo bonsai and you know him from robocop and naked lunch and star trek and everything all the other stuff right yeah John Lithgow is Dr. Emilio Lizardo slash John Warfin. Do I have to tell you what John Lithgow has done? <laughs> He's been in one or two things you may have seen. Just a few things, mm-hmm. like World According to Garb, and he was on that, that murderer show. <laughs> that murderer show. What was it, Webster? Dexter. It was Webster. Dexter. Webster. No, I'm changing it to Webster, where Webster is, is a serial Webster killer. Webster is a serial, serial Yeah, Webster is a serial killer who hunts serial killers. <laughs> Ellen Barkin is Penny Pretty, and she was in Diner and Tender Mercies and a whole bunch of garbage after this. <laughs> Jeff, Jeff Goldblum is Dr. Sidney's Weibel, or his nickname, New Jersey. I'm not gonna. Do I? No. He rules the world at the moment. This is a dense cast, dude. Yeah. Oh, my God. Almost everybody is somebody, yeah. Christopher Lloyd is Jung Big Booty. <laughs> Big Booty. Don't start that with me. <laughs> respect how respect his name. Jeez, I don't know. I don't. Chris, no. Thank you for making my job easy, cast. Yeah, really. Lewis Smith is Perfect Tommy. A lot of TV. Yeah. Rosalind Cash as John M. Dahl, and you might recognize her from The Omega Man. Mm-hmm. And she did a bunch of TV as well. Robert Ito is Professor Hikita, and he's done a lot of TV, but most of you would probably know him from Quincy MD. Yeah. He was Sam. <laughs> Uh, Pepe Serna as Reno, Nevada. And uh, he was in Car Wash and Scarface. Ronald Lacey as President Widmark, who's doing a really, really, really good Orson Welles impression from Citizen Kane. Yes, he is. But you guys probably don't realize that he was also Tote Mm -hmm. from Raiders of the Lost Ark. He looks nothing like him. It's the mustache. Nothing. It's not just the mustache, it's also the eyes, yeah. for some whatever reason. I don't know, but it is good. Matt Clark is the Secretary of Defense. McKinley, lots of TV. So much stuff, yeah. Lots of them. Usually, not always playing a jerk, but usually playing a jerk. <laughs> Clancy Brown is Rawhide. Do I have to? <laughs> you know him, he was in Shawshank, yeah. and he's missed the voice of Mr. Krabs, and he was in Highlighter, Highlander. And he's done tons of voiceover work. William Trailer as General Cat 
Berg. He's actually more of an a- uh, acting coach than anything. He's really well known as being an acting coach. Yeah. Not a whole lot of parts in movies and television. Carl Lumley as John Parker. And uh, he was in Cagney and Lacey. And he's also uh, the uh, voice actor for uh, Martian Manhunter mm-hmm. on, uh, on Justice League. And um, he was just recently in Doctor Sleep. Vincent. 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 Turning into Popeye. Vincent Scavelli. <laughs> Vincent Scavelli <laughs> as John O'Connor. And you know him. Boy, I, all you have to do is show a picture. Yeah. Too bad this is an audio medium. But, I mean, he's like considered the king of the supporting characters or character actors. And you've seen him. He's been in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. And Fast Time is at Ridgemont High. Yeah. And Ghost and mm. everything. Amadeus, Batman Returns. Yeah, yeah. Amadeus. Yeah, everything. Everything. Batman Returns. He's just gets blown up, doesn't he? Yeah, but he has that cool, like, you know, organ grinder machine gun. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's kind of cool. Dan Hedaya as John Gomez, you know, from Cheers and Commando. Mary Claire Costello as Senator Cunningham, and she was in the Waltons, and I couldn't find anything else. <laughs> Bill Henderson as Casper Lindley. Um, he was a jazz musician, mostly a jazz musician, but he also did a lot of TVs and uh, TVs and uh, some movies. Damon Hines as Scooter Lindley. Nothing. He did this movie and he got out. He was a little kid. He was like, uh-uh, too much coke for me, thank you. <laughs> Billy... Billy Vera as Pinky Carruthers, and he was an actual musician. Musician Didn't really do a whole lot of acting in anything else. Um, Laura Harrington as Mrs. Johnson, nothing. Yakov Smirnov as a national embarrassment for Russia. I'm sorry, Yakov (laughs) Smirnov as the national security advisor, and he's a comedian, you know. Here, do one of his jokes, Steve. (laughs) Anyone can. Okay. Anyone can do it. Okay. In Soviet Union, sign stops you. <laughs> In Soviet Union, bread eats you. <laughs> it doesn't even need to make sense. In Soviet Union, people make the honey and bees eat it. <laughs> I don't know why. It's crazy. It's all up, it's all upside down. It's why they let me leave. I say things that aren't true. <laughs> In Soviet Union, homophobia is not a problem at all. <laughs> They'd let him back in if he that's, started saying that. That's, yeah, that's, <laughs> I will lie for government. <laughs> let me come back. <sighs> music by Michael Boddicker. By music, I mean synthesizer. Yeah. He's well known as being the synthesizer dude. He wrote a song for Flashdance, and then he did tons and tons of music on television in the 80s because they didn't want to pay people, and they're like, here, just play the synthesizer while, while the A-team does exactly. shit or whatever. You mean that <laughs> keyboard can make all the different noises? Check it out, oh, it shit. made horns. <laughs> wow, it almost sounds like a horn, too. It almost sounds like a violin. It's almost music. It's almost music. <laughs> cinematography by Fred J. Cohen Camp. And he uh, was the cinematographer for Patton and Papillon. And Jordan Cronwell, who was the cinematographer for Altered States, Blade Runner, and the music documentary, or the filmed stage show, Stop Making Sense. Um, one of these guys got fired. Yeah. <laughs> 
and I can't remember which one, but he got fired pretty early. I'm pretty sure it's the guy from Patton. <laughs> I can definitely see more altered states yeah. in this movie than Papillon or Patton. It's, it's hard to see a lot of Patton influence in the cinematography <laughs> exactly. here. Edited by George Bowers, nothing. And Richard Marks, who cut Little Big Man, Serpico, and The Godfather 2. And then he did Buckaroo Banza. <laughs> so that's quite a resume. Yeah, it is. Production company Sherwood Productions formed just to make this movie. Hmm. Distributed by 20th Century Fox. Release date August 15th, 1984. Running time 102 minutes. Budget 17 million. Adjusted for inflation 41 million. Box office. I gotta run out again. Box office. No, oh, honey. I, I can do it. Box office $6.3 million. Adjusted for inflation, $15 million. So not only did it not make its money back, it didn't make back the advertising costs, which I'm going to address now. <laughs> hey, Steve. Uh-huh? Hey, Steve. Yeah, man. How did, do you know how they advertise this movie? I don't know how they advertise this movie. How did they advertise it? Primarily, they said, we're not going to take out advertisements like in newspapers or like we're only going to have like a handful of commercials on the TV. What we're going to do is we don't know what this movie is. We like it, but we have no idea what it is or who would want to watch it. So you know what we're going to do? We're going to go to Star Trek conventions, specifically Star Trek conventions. Interesting. And we're going to advert. We're going to you could get a headband. You could get a Bonsai Institute headband that you could get, which is highly coveted now by the way i bet most of them just went i don't know what this is throw in the trash oh the blooper reel from star trek the original series is on in <laughs> hall 10 i'm going to that um and also um on comic books comic books star trek convention so they were tr- they were targeting the nerds <laughs> yeah and that's exactly who they got because pretty much we're the only ones that watched it nobody else nobody else my dad, uh, to his credit, I'd said, Dad, I want to go see Buckaroo Bonsai because I saw it at the Star Convention and also it's on, on my latest issue of Spider-Man. I want to go see it. And he's like, okay. And he enjoyed it too because my dad is a nerd as well. Right. So, yay. But, boo. This movie opened at around the same... It got pushed back to an August release and I think it was competing against um, Star Trek Three. Oh. Search for Spock. Okay. And there was another thing that was coming out at around that time which really just kind of killed it. And it was... It got mixed reviews mm-hmm. at best. But most people just think, well, it was okay. It was weird. I don't understand it, but okay. And so, yeah. It didn't It didn't do good. And people watched it on VHS when it finally came out on VHS. It doesn't get rooted routinely played and in, in, uh, got replayed in syndication. It wasn't like there was Buckaroo Banzai Night on TNT or anything like that. No, no. It's not like the Beastmaster. It just slowly grew and kind of when the internet finally hit, I think a lot of people realized, oh, a lot of people have seen this movie. Right. <laughs> so, Steve, are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, I'm already dressed, man. <laughs> I've regrown my mullet. I don't know how I did that, but I just did it out of sheer willpower. Got your two skinny belts on. I got my two skinny belts on. (laughs) I got my collar pop, baby. Yeah. I'm ready to go. I've rolled the bottom of my my slacks. I'm wearing those, (laughs) those Japanese... Those, I owned a pair, those black Japanese um, shoes that have the toe cut out for the big toe for some reason. Oh, yeah. They're super uncomfortable. They look cool, but boy, they don't feel good. And I got a fish tie on because I always, I had like nine of them. <laughs> and I, I, what? Okay, fine. You had to move away from your microphone to laugh at that joke, Steve? <laughs> 
I had the piano tie. Yes. Everybody had to have the piano that was, tie. That was legal. You had to have that. Yeah. Well, what set me apart was I had fish ties. I had a trout and mm-hmm. a salmon. Sure. I, had, I had all the fish. I had all, all of the fish. <laughs> and girls liked them, god the, damn it. The coelacanth. Yeah, the coelacanth. The rockfish. All of the them. Hagfish. All of them. <laughs> All right, you ready? I'm ready. Let's hop in this rock car yeah. and we'll zoom into the world of Buckaroo Bonsai across the eighth dimension. Yeah. Steve, mm-hmm. be nice. Uh, have I ever been otherwise? <laughs> yeah, that's true. You're a pretty nice guy. Thank you. Not like me. <laughs> Steve, don't be like me. I hate this and you should feel bad for liking it. <laughs> exactly. Take it away. Well, we start with an opening title crawl. Oh, no. Reading? Which, just a little reading. Actually, it's a, it's a good bit of reading if you, if you think about it. But um, it tells us the absolute bare minimum of what we need <laughs> to know of that incredibly dense pre-existing backstory that you referenced. So that we just have the very, very most basic idea of who these people are and why they're hanging mm-hmm. out together and whatever. So we, we learn that... Buckaroo Banzai has an American mom and a Japanese dad. Uh, he's a neurosurgeon. Right. A martial artist, a particle yes. physicist. That's right. And he has a group of friends who are also scientists. Yes. <laughs> called the Hong Kong Cavaliers. That's who right. travel around the world with him. Yeah, and they're and they're a band, yeah. They're a band. They're a rock and roll band. Now, I would like to get this out of the way right here and right now. Buckaroo Banzai is a modern version of Doc Savage. Yes, very much so. Doc Savage had a group of guys who were special, had special skills. I can't remember what they're called. The Fabulous Five or something. Yeah. I can't remember. The Fearsome Five, the Friendly Five. It's something with five in it. Fox Force what, Five. Yeah. No. And that's what, that's what Buckaroo Banzai is. Yeah. He's a comic book character, right? Yeah. Anyway, they say he's going to do a thing. Yeah, he's going to do, he's going to, he's, he's, I, th- I think that the, 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 the exact language used is his jet car is ready for a bold assault on the dimension barrier. Us- <laughs> so. Using his oscillator. Overthruster, all in caps yeah. and bold and in bold. Yeah, so it's like okay, so I mean, it's quite possible that the movie loses half the audience right there when they're what? like, they're like dimension barrier. Oh shit! No, for, this shit? no, 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 no. Come on. He's a physicist and a neurosurgeon. Do you have any idea how much school you have to go to? Exactly. He'd be in his fifties by now. Thanks for pulling me right out of the movie before we even get started. God damn it. Why can't we have realistic heroes like Doc Savage? (laughs) (laughs) Or the Shadow. Or Flash Gordon. (laughs) Or Dick Tracy, just a hard-working detective. Nothing nothing weird about that character at all. With the radio TV watch. Completely realistic milieu. Battling all those freaky mutants. <laughs> Just like the real cops did they? in Chicago. <laughs> That's right. There was Jitters McGee. Of course, he just had Parkinson's disease. It was actually quite sad. Uh, the real man that the character was based on was rather tragic. Now, that was the real man, dude. You're thinking of somebody else. You're th- <laughs> Jitters McGee. <laughs> anyway. Problem with him is Tommy Gunn would go off all over the place <laughs> yeah. when he robbed a bank. Never knew who he was going to shoot. Screaming, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I can't help it. Gosh darn it, he tried. Johnny No Hands. Johnny, Johnny No Hands. Lost him in a combine. Ugh. 
We always suspected he had hands and was just hiding them because he felt everybody needed a thing. Uh, Luigi stroke face. <laughs> Luigi stroke face. It was a sad time now that I'm thinking about it. Oh, boy. How long can we make this tangent go? <laughs> <laughs> so anyway. Anyway, we're in the desert. We cut to the desert, and it's like it's very much like a mission control kind of feel because there's yeah. there's a countdown, and there's people like in front of instruments, and we see the rocket car, and which is a truck with a bunch of shit glued onto it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Including a real rocket. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's a rocket car. Okay, it's not like those fake Batmobiles where they just kind of poo-pooed some flame out of the back they actually got a real working rocket to use on this rocket car. i want a rocket car <laughs> this movie will live or die by verisimilitude yeah and so it looks like a truck with a bunch of shit in the back right 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 and, and everyone is getting ready for something everybody's getting ready but there's only one problem the guy who's supposed that the guy who's supposed to drive the car, Buckaroo yeah, Banzai oh. himself, is not here yet. Yeah, and there's like a senator and a general, and they're like, "You better get here. Ooh, he's gonna break the speed record." That's what they. That's think. That's what they think, right? Because meanwhile, the other Hong Kong Cavaliers are there, and that's where we see Rawhide and Perfect Tommy and Reno, and they're all like, "Shut! Don't worry, he'll be here. Shut up. We know where he is." Yeah. Oh no, Rawhide's, Rawhide's there. there. Rawhide's. Raw, yeah, Rawhide is with Buckaroo, who is at his other job. <laughs> Doing what? Performing Helping ladies across the street. Performing brain surgery. Oh, that's right. With 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 uh, who's going to become known as New Jersey? Yeah, yeah. And he and he's and he's, he offers him a job, which is nice. Yeah, he says, "Hey, you want to join the Hong Kong Cavaliers?" He doesn't say it like that because they don't say things like that in this movie. He says, "You want to join?" And he's like, "Yeah." And he says, "Can you sing?" And he says, "I can dance." <laughs> you got a job, Mister. That's right, but uh, Bugger Bonsai is lasing a, a, a tumor with laser and then putting in microphones in his head or something? Yeah, yeah. The I think uh, Rawhide explains it is like, well, you'll be able to just speak and order your limbs to do what they to do what you need them That's to do. Right. And he's okay. and just for fun. He's operating on an Eskimo. Anyway, yeah, so yeah. meanwhile, back at the base, they're like, when is it going to get here? And a helicopter lands and, and a guy comes out. And we haven't really seen Buckaroo's face yet. No, no, right? no. And he put, he has like a mask on like race car drivers wear where you can just see his eyes. Yeah. 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 And he gets into the, he gets into the rocket car and they give him a, a leather suitcase and he takes the oscillation overthruster out of it and he puts it in the car and it does a bunch of beep boop it has this kind of this kind of chirp you know it makes yeah. this chirp every once in a while so that we can even if we don't see it we know it's there pretty clever yeah huh i think it would drive someone crazy <laughs> <laughs> how do i turn this off That's... it keeps it keeps going diddly diddly every like every it's not even timed it doesn't even <laughs> it does, it's not even on a cycle it doesn't correspond to anything meaningful it's just oh there it is <sighs> and he puts on a, a japanese headband yeah like the karate kid yeah and then he puts the helmet on and he's like i'm ready to go right yeah and they count him down and then the rocket car just takes off and, and it breaks the sound barrier. yes it goes mach one and then something something unexpected happens when he veers off course yeah he's there's this place where he's supposed to pull through and stop and he veers off course and everyone that's not in on it loses their shit what's he doing and then he turns on this kind of laser gun on the truck and it hits a mountain and then he hits the mountain yeah and he but he doesn't hit the mountain no he goes through the mountain 
Mm-hmm. And he and he, he winds up at what? the train station at Hogwarts. No, he doesn't. No, that's Where not. does he end up? He, How dare you? He, end, he ends up in the titular eighth dimension. He's a man of science, not fucking magic. That's right. He ends up in the eighth dimension. Yay. And what does that look like? It's kind of like a little bit of the Stargate from 2001. You know, think like the, the colors are kind of flat and kind of everything sort of upside down and wavy and with more monsters. Kind of freaky. In it. Yeah, yeah. And there's a lot of there's a lot of electro uh, what is it electron microscope photographs yeah yeah and lightning yeah and these goopy these creatures try to grab he hits them and stuff and then he comes out of the mountain yeah and there's no hole or nothing no it's weird yeah and we're like wow that was that was interesting and he gets out and he looks underneath his car and takes his mask off and we can see him and there's this like um, weird grapefruit underneath his car stuck to his car it's like like alive it's making noise yeah gross. like a little like like a like a brain or something kind of thing it's got like little like wrinkles in it mm-hmm. and yeah but before we've had a time to process what's happening we cut to where Steve? it gets even weirder right away um we go we, we check in on uh, dr lizardo who is currently a guest at the trenton home for the criminally insane but they don't tell us it's a home for the <laughs> no, criminally insane. we just see him we in his room we have to work it out yeah i think the tip-off is when the pa announcement says lithium is no longer available on credit <laughs> on credit Oh, God, it's hilarious. Yeah. And he's living in this rat nest yeah. of a part of the ward yeah. where everything, everything's everything been written on. And he's watching a news program on his old busted black and white about what Buckaroo Bonsai just did. Yeah. And they mention Professor Hakita. Yeah. And that seems to make Dr. Lazardo go, what? Yeah, he's, he's, he's like, oh, yeah? Yeah, that's oh, not quite, but... <laughs> no, not quite. So what he does is, what any of us would do, is yeah. he attaches some electrodes to, like, his ear and his tongue, <laughs> and he has a flashback to 50 years and, ago. And he has, okay, so he has the control on his arm. On his arm, that's it, yeah. That he straps on like he's about to do heroin. <laughs> and then, yeah, then he clips things, something onto his tongue, yeah. What he clips into his tongue is, uh, like, tongs like tension tongs that have brillo pads on the on the tip <laughs> and he clips something to his earlobe yeah. and then he just flips the switch and electricity starts shooting off of him and we go it's a flashback machine it's a flashback machine where do we go steve to 1938 what's happening there, there... about a bunch of bad stuff with nazis uh, no actually <laughs> what <laughs> no, <it's>... um <laughs> They're doing like uh, they're kind of doing the same thing that we just saw Buckaroo do. Only they don't do as what good is, of a job. What did Buckaroo do? They have like a <laughs> little. It's like a little car. They're inside instead of out in the desert. And there's like a little car on a track, and it's pointed at a wall. Is Hikita there? And Doctor Hikita is there. That's right. And and he's saying not yet. Yeah, we're not ready. It's not time yet. And but Doctor Lizardo, who has black hair. Yeah, because it's because it's the past. So he's younger now. Nah, you notice he doesn't seem to age. Yeah, he does seem he he does there, there's something about yeah. There's a reason. For there is a reason. It, but for they're it. not going to yeah. tell they're, us what that reason. They never is. actually come out and tell you what the reason is. But yeah, so he he gets in the little cart and he's like, "Fuck you, I'm doing it." And he drives the cart into the wall, and the little laser, you know, shoots the wall like Buckaroo. But yeah. uh, Doctor Lizardo only goes halfway through the wall. Oh no. Yeah, he's kind of stuck in between dimensions. And Hakita looks in his little viewfinder and he sees that inside the wall a bunch of monsters are grabbing at him. Yeah, that's not too good. And then they pull Dr. Lizardo out 
and he takes his helmet off, and his hair is now red. Yeah. And we know what they say about gingers. Yep. They're, they murder people. They're <laughs> monsters from another dimension. <laughs> he kills the other two scientists, and then he runs. He, he crab runs away. Yes. <laughs> And then, uh, the then he flips the switch, and the the flashback is yep, over. That brings us up to speed, I guess. And then Albert Fish from Better Call Saul and uh, and and uh, Breaking Bad shows up. Yeah, but he's an orderly. I can't remember the actor's name. They didn't have him in the cast list. Yeah, but yeah, you're right. He's that guy, yeah. It's that yeah. guy. And he's like, Doc, I gotta take your TV away. You're sucking up too much juice. And oh, um, you've got a delivery from Yo-Yo Dine. And he's like, thanks. And he's got a thick Italian accent. Hey. And he says, don't worry, I'm not gonna be here too long. And he calls him a monkey boy, which is my favorite thing ever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's the, the, the favorite insult of these bad guys. <laughs> 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 Laugh while you can, the monkey boy. Um, and then we cut to where we go. Uh, we, we go we to go the, to the club. Conference. To the do we go? Oh, that's right. We go to the club. Yeah. So that night, after doing an amazing thing and saving someone's life with brain surgery, he's going to end it all by playing a tiny little basement club in New Jersey with his band. Sure, like you do. He's a, he's a Renaissance man. <laughs> And he gets up there and he starts playing really rocking out music for the 80s. Yeah, yeah, baby. And not only can he play the guitar, but he can play the mini trumpet. Yes. And just before he's about to show us that he can't sing, um, he stops the show. <laughs> yeah, because he, he feels like somebody out there might not be having a very good time. And did, was he right? He was right. Well, who's not having a good time? There's, well, there's, there's a girl in the audience. And, she, and she's crying. She's crying. She's upset. And her name's... She's drank a lot. Her name's Penny. Penny Pretty. Penny Pretty. And she's out of money. Yeah. And she's super depressed. Yeah. People start making fun of her. And what does Buckaroo say? He says, hey, 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 don't be mean. You don't have to be mean. Because remember, wherever you go, there you are. Now, Write that did down. this movie invent that line? No. What movie did? I don't know, but I'm pretty sure that. But but this movie uh, popularized it and did yeah, it okay. and made it like a thing that people say. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, he says he's going to sing a song for us, or he starts playing the piano. Yeah. And he sings a Buddy Holly song at him. Yeah. And he can't sing that great. <laughs> okay, he can't be good at everything. He can't. He can't be perfect at everything. And at first, Penny seems okay, but then we cut to her, and she and she's not doing so well. It's one of my favorite things in this movie. She pulls out a gun. And she's raising it to her head. <laughs> but thankfully, a clumsy waitress stops by and knocks her, knocks her arm and it shoots into the air. Yeah. And all of the Hong Kong Cavaliers pull out guns. Yes, because they think, they hear the shot and they think somebody's out to get Buckaroo. Or, yeah, yeah. I guess this happens a lot. Yeah. Well, I mean, his greatest enemy is the world crime. Yeah, so, I mean, they're used to it. And the bouncers come and pull Penny Pretty out, and he tries to stop them a little bit, but then Rawhide says, we got to get out of here, and so they leave. That night, at the Institute for the Criminally Cuckoo, yeah. <laughs> John Warfin has packed all of his shit, and he's leaving. <laughs> he walks up to the orderly and starts making a phone call, and the orderly is like, don't do that. <laughs> And he's like, operator, I want to get a touch of uh, Yo-Yo Dine propuls Propulsion Industries. And then he grabs the orderly by the neck and lifts him into the air and snaps it. Yep. I guess he's the bad guy. I think he probably <laughs> is. 
he tells a guy named John Big Booty. That <laughs> <laughs> That's his name. That um, Hikita has perfected the overthruster, and now it's their chance, right? Right. And then he short circuits a Buckaroo bonsai video game, and then he leaves singing. What has happened? <laughs> So they are driving to a jail in New Jersey in what in their tour in their bus, tour basically. bus right because they're a, they're like a rock band yeah okay I've seen the inside of it there's quarters for Buckaroo Banzai and all of his shit all of his Japanese samurai swords and stuff they got to a shot of him doing something yeah. with a sword but there's also a military uh, uh, communication center a two person military communication center and I guess the Cavaliers just uh, the rest of the Hong Kong Cavaliers just right on the top. Yeah. When they're not inside, sure. Where in the hell could they possibly be? Sleeping? I don't know, but it's one of my it's one of my favorite tropes is in anything is the impossibly large space where it's like there's no it's way it's bigger on the inside. yeah and it, yeah because yeah. I mean Doctor Who like makes it part of the story and like well it's you know there's right. technology to explain it but like in Buckaroo Banzai or like the trailer in Knight Rider it's like this yeah. is way bigger than it should be and there's no <laughs> pos- there's no explanation for it and I just love that and this this it reminds mm-hmm. me of that. Anyway, um, they're all remarking on how Penny Pretty looks a lot like this woman. Yeah. Well, not just any woman. Who? Uh, Buckaroo Banzai's dead wife. Peggy. Peggy, yes. Hmm. And, Peggy, um, Penny. That's interesting. Here's a little backstory. Ha- um, Hanoi, what's his name, is the one that killed Peggy. Oh, what a bastard. Trying to kill Buckaroo. Yeah. He's caused a lot of sorrow in Buckaroo's uh, what life. What a jerk. Makes you wonder why he's not the main villain. Uh, right. Thankfully, we don't, because he was supposed to be like the Fu Manchu kind of character. Yeah. Not Fu Man. Yeah, Fu Manchu kind of character. So thankfully, we didn't have to live through that. <laughs> <laughs> or I don't think we'd be talking about this movie no, right now. No, it might have been, might have created some problems. Just a little bit. Anyway, so they go and they stop at this county courthouse or jail or whatever. And who's outside, Steve? Uh, it's uh, New Jersey, Jeff Goldblum. And is he dressed like a normal person? No, he's not. He's dressed like a cowboy from a cartoon. He's dressed like a cowboy from Pee Wee's Playhouse. <laughs> yes, he is. Oh, my God. He's Cowboy Curtis. He's Cowboy he's Curtis. He's Cowboy Curtis. Hey, Pee Wee. <laughs> Can you believe I'm going to be a respected actor in less than 10 years? <laughs> anyway um so they they get out and they go into the jail and they meet him and they ask him where he's from and he says he's from new jersey and they kid him a little bit about his outfit and it's one of those jokes that they don't circle and underline where it's pretty apparent that because he thought they were cowboy themed that he was gonna dress like a cowboy but no one in the band dresses like a cowboy right right, right exactly they have like cowboyish kind of names but yeah nobody yeah. actually dresses but- like a cowboy yeah Right. They mention a guy named Pecos who is part of the Fabulous Five, but he's he's in the Himalayas or something. He's in Tibet. But they all have like cowboy names. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Perfect Tommy and Buckaroo go into the jail, and he goes up and he talks to Penny Pretty, who seems to be essentially grabbing all the bars for some reason. Yeah. I don't know why. <laughs> yeah. I didn't mind it. I'm not complaining. I'm just trying to figure out what yeah. what her acting what's is. The, right yeah, now. like what's the character <laughs> motivation? <laughs> For her to be like, look at me, look at my body. She's not naked or nothing, but I mean, I don't, I don't care. I don't. Do you care, I Steve? Didn't, I, I have don't. no objection. <laughs> anyway, he asks her like two questions and then realizes that she's the twin sister of his dead wife. What are the odds? 
and he doesn't say anything to her. He just says, "Let her out," and and he can, I guess, because he's so famous. That's right. He's Buckaroo Banzai. The cops do what they're uh, told. Chief advisor to the president and sure. shit. They just—they're like sure, and so um, they let him. They let her out, and so of course he takes her to the press conference. <laughs> yes, of course, and she gets a seat up on the dais with everybody else. <laughs> That's right. And in the audience is the members of the world press and three guys who look like conservative businessmen. Mm. Nothing suspicious about them, nope, they're, right? They're... It's Christopher Lloyd, Dan Hyde, yeah. and Vincent Scavelli and or Chavelli. I don't know how to I don't know how to Schiavelli. 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 Anyway, then they explain what happened at the beginning of the movie that maybe you weren't 100% on. Right. It's only been half an hour. So they're like, in case you were wondering what all that was about. (laughs) (laughs) And what was that? Uh, He broke the dimensional barrier and he traveled into the eighth dimension. Which is the space between atoms. Right, because, and he holds up a rock, and he's like, see this rock? This is going to sound really familiar when you see Honey, I Shrunk the Kids in a few years. It's mostly <laughs> it's mostly empty space in between all the atoms. Mm-hmm. Um, and the eighth dimension and while is... while they did an impossible yeah. thing in Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, which would have made all those children hyper-dense. <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> they would weigh the same. They'd probably turn into crystals, and we'd be like, oh. oh this is depressing. <laughs> We did an equally impossible thing by basically destroying that <laughs> without destroying it. And then I found this goopy little weird thing. And then the president gives him a call. Yeah. And he's like, the president of <laughs> the what? The president of what? <laughs> the United States. Oh, him. He goes, okay, I guess I'll take it. And he leaves. <laughs> right. And um, while he's on the phone with the president, it's getting really staticky. And then we cut to a pine cone in space. Yeah, aliens. I just want to do this real quick. Yeah. Even though it's mentioned in the opening scroll that uh, aliens have been watching the Earth, you may not have been prepared for this uh, this movie to suddenly start showing alien shit in space. No, maybe not. And the designers of this movie decided that none of the spaceships or alien stuff would be made out of metal. It would be all like an organic kind of looking thing. Mm-hmm. So we cut to what we find out later are the black electroids. And some of them are walking on the ceiling, and one of them seems to be carrying around a tray of green rice. Yeah, yeah. And they can hear Buckaroo Banzai over their radio. And um, then they put a thing in a thing, and electricity comes out and shocks Buckaroo Banzai in the, in the ear. Yeah, uh-oh. And he lands on the ground, and he says, give me a pen, because he's shocking everyone that touches right. him. And he gra- gets a pen, and he writes something on his hand, and then he screams, conference room. Right, yeah. Right? And he runs into the conference room, and he says one of the greatest lines ever in movies. <laughs> Because he's like, don't you see him? And they say, see what? And then he, in the in the greatest finger pointing ever, <laughs> he as the as a, as a camera pans into him, he says, evil, pure and simple from the eighth dimension. And we pan into the three business suit guys and they're weird aliens. <gasps> oh, he he got they lived. Yeah, they before did before they live. And, and they jump up, and there's a whole bunch of uh, commotion. And while they're chasing um, two of them, Christopher Lloyd comes out with a useless pantyhose. Yeah, it's like we could we, we could see it's you, dude. 
and a machine yeah. gun, and he grabs Dr. Hakita. Yeah, uh-oh. And he says, nobody move or the professor gets it. Oh, and, and Reno gets shot. Yes. And uh, then Buckaroo chases them forever through the back halls of this convention center because a motorcycle convention is coming. Yeah. And he sees them jump into a van and (laughs) he jumps on a motorcycle and takes off after them. Yeah. Phew. Then we cut back to Buckaroo Banzai's house, right? Yeah, yeah, they, yeah. The rest of the Cavaliers go back, and they have Penny with, with yeah. Them. And Mrs. Johnson, who I guess lives there, who is a young lady, gets all excited because Penny looks like Peggy, and they say it's not Penny, and um, they're like Mokey. And then uh, Buckaroo, st- oh, and that's also the Black Lutzeroids launched a thermal pod. Yeah. What's a thermal pod? I don't know. <laughs> Something. It's like it's like a plum with wings, with like bat wings on yeah. it, and it flies down. And while Buckaroo is chasing the what we find out are red electroids, which are the three guys in business suits, one of whom is sucking on a battery. <laughs> <laughs> he was hungry. He was hungry. <laughs> Again, not explained. Nope. He's just sucking on a battery, like a like a like a car battery with like wires sticking out that he's sucking yeah. on. Um, one of them says they've detected the thermal pot. They're like, oh, we got to get it. I bet it's the black electrodes. And so they spin around. And as they're coming back, they hit Buckaroo and he flies into the vegetation. Yeah. And we're like, oh, no, he's dead. And the movie's <laughs> over. And I don't even know what's happening. Now, now, now who will we root for? <laughs> so <clears throat> Buckaroo Banzai takes out his Swiss Army knife and uh, pulls out a pulls out an antenna. And he calls who, Steve? Uh, he he calls his his house, right? He calls he calls Rawhide. He calls Rawhide. Rawhide yeah, yeah. And Rawhide tells him, "We got the Overthruster, but they stole Hikita." Uh, uh, and he tells them, um, "The van said Yo-Yo Dine. Find out everything you can about Yo-Yo Dine." And he's like, "Okie dokie, boss." And so then we cut back to some hunters. <laughs> yes. And they're walking around, and they haven't shot anything. And then they see, see the thermal pod crash. And they're like, let's go get that. <laughs> Maybe we can kill it. And <laughs> Maybe we can kill whatever that was. Then we cut to the bunkhouse, right? That's where all the guys yeah. are. And one of them hacks into Yo-Yo Dine's personnel files, because the, there's no such thing as these guys having to get warrants or anything <laughs> to <laughs> bust into personnel computer systems. And they find out what? Well, they find out that on uh, November the 1st, 1938, all these people with the first name John applied for social security numbers. That's right. That's weird. That is weird. It's got to be a joke. Yeah. It's impossible. Some are named like John Yaya yeah. and John Smallberries. John Smallberries, yeah. But some of them have relatively normal yeah. names. And, uh, and New Jersey. But all of them have the first name of John. They all John. have the first name of John. And uh, none of them have any birth dates attached or anything like that. And uh, and they applied at Grover's Mill. They applied at Grover's Mill. And the date and Grover's Mill makes New Jersey remember something. And he's like, wait a minute. Grover's Mill was the town that the Martians... Uh, attacked in Orson Welles's War of the Worlds broadcast. Oh, that m- where might be significant. Martians were landing. Yeah. I would just like to say right now, as a fan of that broadcast, a lot of people say that he did it on purpose to prank people. No, he didn't. Orson Welles is a fucking liar. He loved the attention yeah. it got, and he milked it for everything he could, and he'd embellish on that fucking story the older he got. Oh, yeah, and first, if, if you, if you yeah. listen to the actual thing, it's obviously a show. Yes, it, it's it is. It's in the form of a news broadcast, 
But it's uh, they were never, ever, ever did they try to trick people into thinking it was real. The only reason people switched over to another channel to see what was on the other uh, on the other radio stations was because Charlie McCarthy had a very unpopular singer on. Right. And so they missed the opening yeah. that this was a radio. They tuned show. in in the middle, and mm -hmm. they just assumed because they were dipshits, <laughs> because they were credulous yokels. <laughs> Who had been battered by who the... Who were listening to... Who would rather listen to a ventriloquist on the yeah, radio. Yeah, a ventriloquist in, on, on the radio. Everyone's favorite radio magician. <laughs> the rabbit did come out of the hat, ladies and gentlemen. It's the most... I have levitated the Titanic out of the ocean, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, take my word for it. He is, in fact, in two places at once. It's the most astonishing thing I've ever seen. Yeah, right. so yeah. So the idea that this this is a cover-up. Right, the idea, yeah. No. New Jersey figures out that actually there was something that happened at uh, Grover's mm. Mill that night, and the Orson Welles broadcast was created to cover it up. Yeah. Right, but we don't get that no, yet. No, not yet. We cut, back, we cut back to the hunters who use a stick to get the <laughs> to get the thermopod out of a tree, and then a Rastafarian comes out of the top with a weird binoculars thing, and then he's so surprised by the ship door closing that he falls <laughs> off it and cracks his head open. Hmm. And then he stops looking like a Rastafarian, and his features change, and he starts looking like one of those alien things. Yeah. And while his hunters are poking it with a stick, another guy with a big pink pastry box. Yes. Oh, Steve, I shouldn't I shouldn't have to explain this out loud. When I do it out loud, it just sounds so fucking ridiculous. He climbs out and runs away. Another Rastafarian climbs out and runs away. And then <laughs> And then the Yo-Yo Dine guys show up, and they're like, this is one of ours. And they're like, what about that guy that fell out of it? He's a droid or something. Why don't we yeah, just exactly. kill him? John, can we kill him now? Can we just kill the hunters and the police guy now? Please? Do we have to wait around? They don't do that. John, John Big Booty grabs a stick, and he starts. he wants to crack it open. And we cut to the inside, and there's this poor guy. <laughs> This poor last alien and the people up in the pine cone say, destroy yourself. And he's like, I'd like to apologize to my homeland and loved ones. One of my favorite I lines, I used to say this all the time, John Baruch is dead. He fell on his head. <laughs> um, and then he just, well, he's getting ready to destroy it. Buckaroo comes up upon the scene and he's looking down at it. And then John O'Connor shows up and he goes, oh, it's Buckaroo Banzai. And then he gets kicked in the nuts and Buckaroo runs away. Now, earlier, we skipped over this. Um, they were talking about who they should call and they said, let's send out a dispatch for Blue Blaze reg Irregulars. Which I guess is some kind of unofficial police force that is organized by the Bonsai Institute. Yeah, yeah. They're like, yeah, it's kind of like they're like fans of Buckaroo. Yeah, they're, but they could. kind of, pit, they pitch in to help out when they yeah. need to. And so they're put, they're put out an alert to all Blue Blazer regulars out in the area. And a little kid gets it. He runs out to his dad who's selling couches outside. I don't know what, I don't know. And he says, Dad, Buckaroo needs us. So now Buckaroo is running away from the electroids and he climbs over a fence and there's just an electroid there driving a truck. Why? Where did he come from? I don't know. But he wants to run over Buckaroo 
and that's bad. But then a ladder falls down from God and he gets it. But it's a helicopter because, of course, the guy who was selling couches out in his parking lot has a helicopter, right, Steve? Naturally. Why would he not have a helicopter? So then we cut back at the back at the bunkhouse, right? Yeah. First, Hakita, he saved Akita, right? Yeah, he gets him out of the he back gets, of the van. He gets in the van and he uh, licks his palm because where he wrote down the formula and he slaps it onto Hakita's Akita, forehead. And he says, make this. It's some. It, it's an antidote to what the electroids, how they disguise themselves and get back. And he's like, okay. And Hakita jumps on a motorcycle and rides all the way back. There are people outside the gate that take pictures of the people going in. You know, fans. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like paparazzi. Mm-hmm. Sure. And um, they... Uh, what happens? Uh, doesn't John Parker show up with his pastry yeah, box? That's right. His box of donuts? And he's like, I need to see Buckaroo Bonsai. And, and the guy, guy at the, the gate back is, is like, like, what's in the big pink box? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he takes the box and leaves John Parker outside. Yeah, and he says, everyone needs to see Buckaroo. You're not getting it. Yeah. And John- but I'll take those donuts. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you. And so uh, John Parker's hiding in the bushes. Buckaroo gets back and every, no, yeah, no, no, not yet. So then the black, the black, the red electroids show up and they jump over the wall, right? Right. Because they've got to get the overthruster. And then John Parker jumps over the wall like five minutes after they did it, but he gets knocked out. Right. He, like immediately. Mm-hmm. Like they catch him immediately. And then Buckaroo's there and he's got Casper and Scooter Lindley, the guys who own the helicopter. It's an eight year old kid and an old man. And everyone's explaining to Buckaroo what's going on. Would you like like to do that? Tell them what, what happened, Steve? Oh, boy. Okay, so in 1938. Yeah, so there. Yeah, the Orson Welles broadcast was was fake, but fake in a different way than you thought it was. Right, real real creatures because there was a real, cross-dimensional yeah. accident, and creatures from the eighth dimension wound up in Grover's Mill, New Jersey, where I guess they right. founded Yo-Yo Dine. <laughs> Yeah, sure. Immediately. Um, Immediately. They had work to do. <laughs> and um, they brainwashed Orson Welles. I guess. saying a yeah. different story. And oh yeah, there's a record here. There's a yellow record. And everyone has to put on 3D glasses made out of bubble wrap. And sure. then they put this little thing on top of a big chunk of pink PVC. And it makes a hologram of a woman. And, yeah. and what does that hologram woman say? She's the exposition lady. <laughs> uh, she's Okay, I think I, I, she says that... The uh, the the bad guy aliens, John the, the red electroids, John Warfen is eviler his, than, than Hitler. Yeah, he's he's eviler. He's worse than Hitler, and he had been imprisoned in the eighth dimension. Because they're all from Planet Ten. They're all from Planet Ten, and so him and all of his bad guy buddies were were trapped in the eighth dimension. And then when uh, they breached the dimension in that flashback we saw earlier with Doctor Hikita and Doctor Lazardo. Uh, John Warfin was able to escape by living inside of into Dr. the body of the professor. Yeah, right. and and uh, and a couple of his other guys escaped as well, and they're the ones that like founded Yo-Yo Dine. And they they they're trying to get back into the eighth dimension so they can break everybody else out, right? And escape back into our dimension and start and, a war or something, and and start a war with the good guy, uh, the, the the black electroids. And they really, really don't want that to happen. 
So if Buckaroo can't stop them within what, like, what, what they give him a deadline. One, they say, 24 like, hours. Within 24 hours, then the red electroids are just going to destroy the entire Earth. No, the black electroids to... are going to disrupt worldwide communications. Communications, And then yeah. fire a particle beam weapon. It, yeah. It, uh, into Smolensk in the United States. Oh, that's right. And so- they'll and, they'll, and it'll start a nuclear Republic. war. Yeah, the, the the Soviets will think that America has has attacked them and it will start a nuclear and, war. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then she says, you better stop this. End of discussion. Bye. So now it's time. We're got to go invade Yo-Yo Dine. And Buckaroo's like, I'm going to go get my guns, right? Yeah. And everybody else is like, okay, we'll get ready. We'll call on the Rucksuckers. We'll call in some other people. Okay. <laughs> Meanwhile, the red electroids have killed their mechanic and smashed into the... They're looking for the overthruster. They smashed into the rocket car, and now they're, they're sneaking around all over the Bonsai Institute. Buckaroo goes in to see Penny, who has thrashed his room and took a bath. And yes. she's upset and confused. Why is she upset and confused? I don't know. <laughs> because she sees a picture of someone oh, that's right. that looks like her of, of her twin sister, yeah, but she doesn't know. Right. Yeah. And, and Buckaroo's t- like, I think you're my wife's twin sister, so that's and we're the explanation gonna start for fucking. That. Is that wrong? Is it wrong that I fuck both sisters? Is it? Is it I psychologically mean, my- sound for me to date the twin sister of the woman that I married? <laughs> of my dead wife. Of my dead wife. Is that <laughs> my my murdered dead wife? Is that bad? <laughs> But they can't kiss because he still has an electrical charge. Right, exactly. He can't touch nobody. He's been ionized. That's right. As he, as he very casually explains at one point, Ra- I've been ionized, I'm fine. Right, and then Rawhide comes in and says, there are electrodes all over the place. They've killed the mechanic. And then one of them sneaks into the lab where Dr. Hakita is, and uh, Christopher Lloyd, John Big Booty, kills the mm-hmm. lab assistant, and Hakita starts running off. And now it's a bunch of running around, and there's a mystery watermelon, and yeah. Th- th- actually, there's a lot of mystery fruits that other people don't question. For example, when they're breaking <laughs> into the Yo-Yo Dine computer systems, there are grapefruits everywhere. There's like three on top of the computer, two on shelves, and then one in the background. And Reno is even holding a grapefruit. Why is there so much grapefruit in that room? It's it's there's obviously a very important scientific purpose. I guess because while they're wandering around in the tunnels or the the basement, you know, New Jersey points to it and he says, "Why is that watermelon there?" And Reno says, "I'll tell." you later that's this whole movie because he doesn't tell us later (laughs) nobody nobody finds out anything later right so hakita's running around and he's getting chased and penny who was told to stay in the room doesn't and she's wandering around in the basement now and she finds hakita right and hakita slips her the overthruster and she puts into her her clear handbag right it's a vinyl clear handbag and um, then, you know, mm-hmm. Rawhide and Buckaroo encounter. Um, so here's the thing. One one of the electrodes, not all of them, but one of them, John Big Booty, is spitting like spiders at people. And that's what's killing yeah. everybody. Yeah. And he spits the spider at Buckaroo and Rawhide gets in the way and he gets injured and he falls down. And he says, go, af- go after him. And they go after him, but they don't catch him, do they? No. And then Penny runs into one of the other red electrodes and he's injured and i guess they kidnap her <laughs> yeah they ca- yeah and then they steal the helicopter 
And we're like, oh no. And then, then Rawhide dies. Yeah, because they can't fix the spider poison. Yeah, and then we meet, then we finally get to meet the Rastafarian uh, Electroid, and he's like, there's no cure. Yeah. And then, like, then, then someone comes up and tells Buckaroo that they've kidnapped Penny, and she has the overthruster, and he doesn't seem too upset that his best friend just died, and they got <laughs> all the everything, and the Earth is going to be destroyed. You know, he's got a lot on his mind. He needs to keep right. he needs to keep his head on his shoulders, that's so all. So they're, yeah. now they're all in the bus, because they're going to rampage into Yo-Yo Dine to get the Overthruster back and kill John Warfin and all this stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. And they made these vests that allow them to breathe the thing that counteracts the bacteria that Electroids <laughs> produce... That makes us see them as humans. Right. It's the most, like, contrived, tortured explanation for that they could possibly have come up with. Mm-hmm. And Jeff Goldblum just kind of just kind of reels it off. like. Which, and then they break okay. that rule almost immediately. So here's, here's why. <laughs> so they show Jeff Goldblum, and he takes a breath of it, and he looks back at John Endall, and he, uh, he looks like a black electrode. You know, he looks right. like an alien, bug-eyed alien. Looks like an alien. Then we cut to the president. Who is in yeah. traction. <laughs> yes. he's His back is killing him. His back is out and he's in this big traction device. Yeah. And um, they're coming up and they get an emergency call from Buckaroo. So basically Buckaroo is doing like the earliest Skype call ever. Right. And he appears on screen and he attempts to tell the president what is going on. <laughs> yeah. As best he can. And John Endall is there and he's like Mr. President. <laughs> Now, the problem with that scene is, is that he looks human in the video thing. So how did his bacteria get all the way to the president so that he saw him as a human being? Right, exactly. Because... (laughs) Well... Because he has to explain to the president that this Rastafarian guy isn't actually a Rastafarian guy. He's an alien from Planet 10. Right, exactly. Well, see, the uh, the bacteria can uh-huh. uh, travel can travel along video signals using quantum entanglement. That doesn't and, happen uh, at all. <laughs> he's like, Buckaroo, my own friend. This is He's, like, very confused. My favorite line yeah. of that is, like, I don't understand nuclear, black. <laughs> Blackmail a woman named John. <laughs> a woman named John? <laughs> then at one point, doesn't he also, he says, there's going to be a race war in New Jersey? <laughs> New Jersey? <laughs> but he takes, he takes Buckaroo Banzai seriously. Yeah. And so what he does is he sends the Secretary of State to go with him. Right. Stick your beak into this. Find out what's going on. Because apparently our government has... has a contract with Yo-Yo Dine to, to design a bomber. Right, exactly. So the secretary is going to go see what they've been up to. Mm-hmm. So they get there, and we, we get, they get a radio call from John Warfin. And he's like, hey, Banzai, <laughs> I have Dr. Penny Pretty. And if you don't tell us where the overthruster is, we're going to torture her and stuff. And Penny's like, don't tell him anything. And he's like, I want you to come here alone, right? Right. It's basic breakdown. And this is where we start seeing that not everything is all happy with the Black Electroids, specifically with John Big Booty, who is no. done. 
There's yeah, there's there's some tension. He hates yeah. John Warford. Yeah. He hates him. And so uh, we cut back to the heroes and um, and Buckaroo is going to go in by himself in the jet car. And then right. the other guys are going to come in, priority, kill John Warfin, get the overthruster back. Right? Right. Then we cut to maybe my favorite part of this movie. <laughs> which is John Warfin giving a speech to about <laughs> 10 lectroids yes. who can't bother to get up out of their 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 yard furniture to pay attention to it. <laughs> which, He's giving the least inspiring inspiring speech and also doing an impression of Il Duce. Yes. Yes, that's right. And, and misquoting various things is has stuck with me and influenced my my comedy for a long time where he goes where are we going and they scream planet 10 when real soon (laughs) (laughs) buckaroo shows up and he doesn't have the overthruster no he doesn't right so they've taken penny down to the pit and that's not fun because john (laughs) o'connor seems to really like pushing her and knocking over she seems very traumatized steve yeah like this seemed i don't remember it seeming this harsh when i was watching it as a teenager watching it now it's like jesus christ (laughs) take it easy thank god they cut right before he started drowning her in that water yeah really but she's now strapped up to like a table and there's like a ramp and we're like what's gonna happen now and they've strapped buckaroo bonsai into the shock tower yes and um, Doctor, uh, well, Lord Warfin is telling him we need the missing circuits. You, you work out these formulas for the missing circuits, or we're gonna electrocute you. And he says, "Fuck you!" And then they electrocute him, right? Yeah, pretty much. And then they sent, then they put in the probes, which go around his crotch and butt area, Uh-oh. and then they electrocute him even more. And that's bad, right? I, uh, I would say that's yes. Meanwhile, Hong Kong Cavaliers has gotten into the compound, and and what uh, John says is that it's a nest. Right? right and it's garbage it's just garbage they live they live they're filthy creatures yeah they they are apparently yeah and they barely know how to write english yes oh it's one of my favorite jokes in the whole movie <laughs> the all their signs are like totally comically misspelled completely wrong now uh, they've been yeah. building their own ship that they're going to put the overthruster in right but then the all hell breaks loose they cut power you know uh buckaroo gets out of the shock tower and runs off and that's when Lord Warfin says, we'll use mine, right? <laughs> yes. Which is this huge, large suitcase-sized thing with wires hanging out of it. And he says, let's go. Yeah. We're going to get into our yeah. ship. We're going to use this one. And <laughs> John Pitbooty doesn't want to do it. He doesn't want to do no. any of it. Because he, well, he knows it's not going to work. Yes. He knows that Warfin's oscillator is not going to work. Nope. And, and it doesn't. And it doesn't. They get into the, they get into the ship... <laughs> Uh, John Big Booty, John Big Boote finally hooks it up, and then uh, Warfin yells at him one last time <laughs> and calls him John Big Booty, and Big he yells booty. back because he's been correcting people all the whole movie, and he says Big Boote, Tay, Tay, <laughs> and then Warfin shoots him. Yeah. Oh. Oh. They run around. They. F- uh, oh God! This happens before he gets shot. They're like, uh, they they have a slug and that's a, they put on the ramp that's going to go to Penny, and they sh- they get called back to the ship, and um, they one guy says, but John Warfin says said we could kill her, and John Big Booty is like, uh, what is it? To hell with John Warfin and the horse he rode it on. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <sighs> anyway, they start the slug down the ramp. 
thankfully, Buckaroo finds it in time, picks up the slug and throws it away. Dirgeous uh, is going to stay with her to try to fix her up, right? Right, right yeah, because she's all messed up. Meanwhile, the senator has been walking all over the place, just using bluster as a way to get into stuff. And uh, he runs into John Big Booty and <laughs> pisses him up so he <laughs> pisses him off so much that John Big Booty <laughs> lifts him up by his tie and says, "It's not our damn planet, monkey boy." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, then the senator grabs the because the senator just wants also just wants the uh, oscillation overthruster. Right. But then Scooter Lindley gets it. And Scooter Lindley, this eight-year-old boy, has been given a machine gun. Yes, he has. And he's part of the assault team. <laughs> and yeah, the, and the, in the, fact, the... what makes the power go out is Scooter Lindley, the eight-year-old boy, shooting electa and a uh, shooting electroid, who then backs into a power cabinet yeah. and shorts out all the electricity. So the first shot fired is by an eight-year-old. Take that for what it, what you want. I mean, this doesn't. It's not icky now. It's not it. It's fun adventure time. It's just a fun adventure movie, exactly. Doc Savage had a little kid sidekick. All of them did. Clutch they Cargo, all did. they all did. They all did. It's part of the. It's one of the tropes, of course. Right. Anyway, you now Scooter has it. He won't give it back to the senator. <sighs> they, oh. John Warfin is in his ship and he's getting ready to take off. Instead of one beam like we've seen before, this oscillation over Thurster has like 19 beams and they're all going right. in different directions. Right. He's operating half of the ship, ship with his feet. Yes. Buckaroo and, and, and John, the Black Electroid, get inside the ship and then the ship crashes through the wall instead of going to the eighth dimension and just flies up into the air. And you know that because one of the, you can hear in the background, one of the operas saying, we're not in the eighth dimension. We're still no. in New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> And then uh, Warfin knows that, that Buckaroo is hiding, and they're hi actually hiding in a escape pod. Yeah. And they he ejects the escape pod, and it's falling. But thankfully, Buckaroo connects some stuff, and it turns on. And then they chase after John Warfin, and um, they switch positions because he was flying, and now John is flying. Right. And he and tells he, he... him it flies like a truck, and John says, what's a truck? <laughs> what's a truck good point <laughs> because uh, buckaroo is going to handle the we energy weapon that they have and then he catches up to the big ship and he shoots a laser at it and it explodes and what does john Morphin say oh man i forget bonsai <laughs> i'll see you in hell oh. and then for a minute we think oh no they flew into the explosion and they got destroyed but it's okay because then we cut him buckaroo bonsai is, has a, a parachute right wherever that came from he just found it and he waves <laughs> bye, bye to his friend who's in the escape pod and then he lands perfectly back on Yoda. <laughs> yes he does and first he's told that Penny's going to be fine. The doc's, looking, yeah. the doc's doing everything for her. But then he gets to the bus and New Jersey says, I did everything I could. So I guess she's not fine. Yeah, that's not what you say when somebody's okay. And then one of the funniest things in this movie happened. He jumps in and the radio operator says, we have an urgent message from the president. Because we've skipped this. Meanwhile, the president is, is matching with Russia because they're both freaking out. And they've gone to like DEFCON 2. Right. right. And he's about to fill out the declaration of war, the short form. <laughs> yes, the short form declaration of war, which somebody hands him in an envelope. So Buckaroo is walking back 
past the communication things. He said, we have an urgent message from the president. He wants to know, is everything wrapped up? <laughs> is everything wrapped up with uh, Yo-Yo Dime propulsions and, and John Warfin, or should he just go ahead and nuke Russia? And he says, and Bakaru says, yes on one, no on two. No on and two. And the second guy says, w- w- wait, 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 which one was number two? The... <laughs> was number two? <laughs> which one was number two? Yes, or go ahead and destroy <laughs> Russia, which are both destroy Russia. Well, he reads it back. Buckaroo does not correct him. Mm-hmm. Buckaroo goes into his room and Penny's there and she's dead. Yep. Oh. And the aliens are. So we keep cutting to the aliens up in the pine cone and they sit in these huge chairs that yeah. Dr. Seuss made and <laughs> they're spying on Buckaroo. And then they press a button or something and um, electricity from Buckaroo brings Penny back to life. <gasps> the electricity thing paid off. And he's going to do that psychologically questionable thing and fuck the woman that looks just like his dead wife. That's healthy. Yep. It's yep. healthy, Steve. Com- completely normal and fine. And then the very last thing in this thing is a dissolve cut to one of the aliens who says what? So what? Big deal. <laughs> And then then we get a promise of another movie. Yes. Which was Buckaroo Banzai versus the World Crime League. And then for the credits, this is probably one of the more iconic things. It's definitely the most memed thing, I think. It's one of the things that the movie is most known for, for sure, yeah. Where the entire cast, including dead people... <laughs> yes, Rawhide is back. Walk through the Los Angeles River, you know, which is all cement... Yeah, it's, the, it's a really famous location. It's where the, the Terminator 2... Buck, yeah, yeah. To the beat yeah. of the Buckaroo Banzai theme. Yeah. And then it freezes on someone has spray-painted Buckaroo Banzai on a wall, and it stays on that through all the credits. The yet. Yep. End of movie. So, Steve. Yes. How do you feel about this perfectly clear, simple, concise movie? You know how we always talk about simple. Simplicity. Simple, simple Absolutely. works. And this Absolutely. is the most simple movie ever, Steve. <laughs> uh, some some might say that. How do you feel about this sci-fi action adventure comedy, The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai Across the Eighth Dimension? Boy, it would just be poetic justice if I fucking hated it, wouldn't it? <laughs> it would. It would, um, but that's not how things work out always. No, it's not. Um... I, I will I say I here's the thing I wouldn't blame yes. you. No, I understand. I understand. We have we have that trust. Yep. We have that mutual respect. We do. I I don't think I like it as much as you do because I know not. this is one of your very. I don't know if I could like it as much as you do. <laughs> um, but I did really really like it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's one of those movies, and I love when this happens. It's a movie that since I watched it, I, I watched it last night for this and. That was the first time I had seen it. I had not seen it before. You're kidding. I had not seen it before. Wow. At least not all the way through. I'd seen bits and pieces bits and of pieces, it, but I had, right. I had never actually sat down and like watched the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and the more I've thought about it, the more I like it. Mm. And that's a nice response to have. Yeah. Because usually that's a sign that it's a good movie. If you, you watch it and you think, that was pretty good. And then the more you think about it, the more you think, actually, that was really good. Like, you, you, you know, the more uh-huh. you think about it, the better it seems. Um, yeah, it was complicated. Yep. I think that's, you know, it, it was not a huge success at the time of its release. Nope. Um, but it has, you know, it's it's acquired a lot of admirers since. Right. And I, I think, you know, and we, we've seen this happen to a couple of the movies that we've reviewed in the show. And I, I think 
Um, the people who didn't like it back then and the people who, who liked it back then and then also the people who have discovered it since and really fallen in love with it are really looking at different things. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what usually happens in these cases where something is a flop and then it turns into a cult classic. Right. Um, that The thing about it being really complicated, the people who gave it negative reviews, if you go back and read some of those original negative reviews, that was a big sticking point for people. Yeah, it was. They really, they didn't like the complicated plot. They couldn't quite get a handle on the tone. They didn't really get how densely packed it is with backstory and mythology, most of which is not explained at all. Right. And and that was just like a barrier to them. They just didn't connect with that. Mm -hmm. Um, When I watched it, and I think when a lot of the people who are fans of the film watch it, I didn't care about that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because the movie doesn't really care about it either. Um, the movie, the plot is really, really heavy and really convoluted. Right. But I think, first of all, I think that's part of that is, is a joke, or at least it plays as a joke because Mm -hmm. things are so fucking complicated. (laughs) Everything is so much more complicated than it needs to be. And after a certain point, that just becomes inherently funny. Like when, when you start seeing people like for the third or fourth time in the movie, (laughs) launching into this incredibly complicated explanation Mm -hmm. for something that either didn't need to be explained or could have been explained in a far simpler way. It's like, okay, I get it. They're doing this on purpose. Um, All you really need to know about the plot is what Buckaroo and John Parker tried to tell the president during that video call. Yep. There are some there are some bad guy aliens who are de- pretending to be humans. Mm-hmm. There are some good guy aliens who want to stop the bad guy aliens. And right. if Buckaroo can't stop the bad guy aliens, some really, really bad stuff is going to happen. Exactly. There you go. Mm-hmm. That's Everything else is just window dressing. That, that So when you boil the plot down to the basics, it's actually not that complicated. Um, and that's not to say that the window dressing stuff doesn't need to be there, because it does. Like Everything yeah. in the movie is here very intentionally to create this very particular world. And it's a world where a character like Buckaroo Banzai actually makes sense. Mm-hmm. So for that character to make sense, it the world has to be elevated. It has to be exaggerated. It has to be cartoonish. Yeah. Because the hero is a guy who is a world-class neurosurgeon and physicist and inventor and musician. <laughs> Who fights crime? Yep. <laughs> like the plot is complicated because Buckaroo is like that too. Mm-hmm. But also, if you look beneath the surface, you find that the plot and Buckaroo are both fairly simple and driven by forces that we can all understand. Right. Um, like we've mentioned a couple times before during our summer, like you mentioned uh, relatively early in the show here, Bu- Buckaroo Banzai is an 80s version of a pulp adventure hero. Yep. Um, and the, the, the pulp adventure heroes were sort of the precursors to what we would think of as superheroes. And the big one is Doc Savage. There's a lot of stuff in Buckaroo Banzai that is lifted directly from Doc Savage. Point by point. Almost, um, I yeah. mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, really, really closely. Um, but there's also Flash Gordon and Buck Rogers and Dick Tracy and all kinds of all the there. I mean, there are elements of, of just pulp heroes in general that are major, major parts of, of Buckaroo Banzai. It's obviously a riff on that. Um, and uh, and even his name, sort of, even his name yeah. harkens back oh. to that. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and, and so he is he is of that lineage. And, but he's also of the 80s. So he dresses like an 80s pop star. He yep. rides around on a tour bus like a rock star. His <laughs> people have, have nicknames and uh, have like very self-aware, intentional personas and costumes like rock stars and celebrities had in the 80s. And, and there's that end credit scene that we've talked about where they're all walking around 
Um, and that is basically everything cool and mainstream about 1980s pop culture distilled into a couple of minutes. Yep. Like if someone on the Starship Enterprise in the 24th century were to say <laughs> to the computer, show me the 1980s, the computer would play them. This we need mid-80s scene. dress. Yeah. Like and that. And it could like the only thing missing is Alf and Michael Jackson. <laughs> and it could speak for the entire decade. Like that's the eighties. You want to know what the eighties was like? Mm. That's it. At least the good parts of it, the fun parts of it. Yeah. Um, so, and the the movie, it's just absolutely packed with with references and background gags. And I know there are there have to be a bunch of them that I didn't catch, but every time I did catch one, it made me laugh. I love the misspellings uh, of the aliens. I love the joke about lithium not being available on credit anymore. Mm-hmm. I love, like there's so many. Like it's it's as densely packed with. <laughs> background gags as like an airplane or a naked gun movie there's so much happening on the margins that mm-hmm. you just can't you, you know you can't see everything all at once um the performances are terrific i think peter weller finds exactly the right note to he's play for deadpan. buckaroo yeah oh he's so perfectly deadpan but he also seems engaged in things like he's not he's not like like uh laconic exactly he's no. not like he but he seems like he's always in control mm-hmm. and he always has this you know he like this is gonna be okay i've got this i know what to do Mm -hmm. you know there's like that great scene where he and new jersey are shooting the aliens and he very casually like does some very fancy work with the pistol to shoot shoot a guy over here and then shoot a guy over here and he does it like it's no big deal like i do this kind of shit every day don't worry about it i've got it right um and he wears six guns yeah (laughs) exactly and and it's just right for the character and it's just right for the movie because in the context of all this goofiness and quirkiness and all of these oddball details that are like swirling around everything, the fact that he is so deadpan and in control all the time becomes hilarious mm-hmm. because it's like, well, if, like you mentioned, like when he lands with the parachute, of course he just touches down with his feet and walks it off. Like yeah. it's no big thing to him at all. No, he's done you it a hundred times. He's done it a hundred times. He's got this. Right. Um, And I I like the fact that there's so much backstory that is never explained. I mean, because I can kind of relate to that when I was a teenager and a young adult and I would like come up with ideas for comic books or come up with ideas (laughs) for for, you know, um, like screenplays or whatever. Like I would do the same thing. I would I would create something and write it down and nobody but me knew about it. But I would write the script or the story or whatever as though it was all written in stone, like Mm -hmm. as though it was all real and it informed the everything that was going on. So I like I really relate to that of saying, yeah, I wrote, you know, fragments of all these other screenplays that nobody's ever going to see. I wrote all this backstory for these characters that nobody's ever going to have explained, but I'm going to treat it all as real for this movie because to my mind as the writer, that's the world that these people live in. Right. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I really, really like this movie a lot. Now, um, if I were the same age as Jason was and I had seen this movie when I was like 15 in the theaters and it had been able to imprint on me... The way that it seems like, and I mean, other movies in my adulthood have imprinted on me in a similar way, but it seems sure. like it's a lot e- It's a lot easier for that to happen when you're a young person, mm-hmm. when you're a, a kid or a teenager, and you see a movie, and it's like you're discovering something that seems to be speaking directly to you. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and if if I had seen that movie, this movie at that age, I would probably love it just as much as you do, hmm. uh, because there there's so much about it to admire. There's so much about it to appreciate. It's so funny. Its sense of humor lines up with mine so well with all just the the, the background stuff and the mm-hmm. weird oddball stuff. The tone is absolutely perfect. Um, and I think it's terrific. So happy birthday. Thank you, Steve. <laughs> I, I, had, I, think it's, I think it's awesome. I had little to no doubt that if you hadn't seen the movie, you would like it. Yeah. Because this movie speaks nerd. Oh, it's big time. It's not a slant against, slight against you, but it does. And yeah. it was the only movie in the 80s that I can think of that spoke pure, unadulterated <laughs> nerd, right? Yeah. So the way I like to think about this movie, the way I try to explain this movie is imagine that you are a person that has never liked comic books, ever. Not Golden Age, nothing. You've never read one. You don't know anything about them. You don't even know anything about what superheroes are or what their deal is or why people like them. It's never interested in it interested you. And you've never seen a superhero movie. You've never seen anything. And you go, I want to go see a movie tonight. I'll go watch Endgame. And you right. walk in blank. You don't know any of these characters. You don't know what the superhero tropes are. You go in and you sit down. How well would you understand Endgame? You'd probably pick up on it, but there would be a whole lot that you have no idea what the hell is going on. That's what this movie is like. And the only, I think one of the, the, the few people who got it were people who loved comic books, were people who liked sci-fi, because this is the language they were speaking with. We got the inside part of this movie, which is, we're just dropping you in the middle of this world. We're not going to explain a whole lot. There's going to be hints of a, a much bigger universe outside of it. People are going to make references to it, but we aren't going to bother to try to explain all of the other stuff that you should know, even though you don't know it. Now, this breaks a lot of my rules for writing a screenplay, right? You want to have things that the, that people can pick up and understand. And so I can understand why a lot of people walked in, got confused, and didn't understand what was going on. But there was a reason why they put the advertisements in comic books. And there's a reason why they did it at you know comic book conventions and mostly, almost predominantly, Star Trek conventions. And that was because these were people that were used to much bigger stories and only being exposed to certain parts of it. And that's what this is. They took Doc Savage, they modernized him, they made him a lot cooler, and they but they took the same tropes. Main guy who's really good at doing everything, <laughs> and his group of friends who are also scientists and who are really good at doing certain stuff, and they all have nicknames, right? Everyone has a nickname. Those aren't their real names. His real name isn't Reno, Nevada. There isn't a guy named... <laughs> Rawhide is not that guy's real name. Apparently, he's a scientist of something, right? <laughs> Apparently, they're all scientists. But if you're used to those kinds of tropes, when you enter into this world, it's so much easier for you to just let it go by without you ever questioning it. And it's the questioning, if you go back and you think, oh, I wonder what the backstory is with, I wonder what happened, because they only allude to what happened to Peggy. They never actually say what happened. Right. He, she was killed by his greatest his greatest enemy, who we never meet and they never mention. The movie wears its 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 influences on its sleeve. One of the key things is when, when one of the black lectroids, when the black, when, <laughs> when <laughs> John Baruch falls on his head, one of the things they find next to his body is the latest issue of Buckaroo Banzai, the comic book. The comic book, Because, yeah. of course, there's a Buckaroo Banzai like comic book, right? I can't tell you what it's like in the 1980s to be a nerd, unless you're my age and you were also a nerd, right? right? We weren't exactly popular. 
we were considered <laughs> kind of weird, okay? There were movies that were for the general audiences, like Blade Runner or whatever, that, you know, kind of skirted that edge, almost edged on into, into comic nerd territory, but none had steered so hard into the skid like Buckaroo Banzai did. And so <clears throat> when this movie comes along, of course it's going to imprint on me because it had the exact, just like Steve said, it had that exact sense of humor about itself where you wind up falling in love with it. And then when all through the 80s, you could always tell who was going to be your bro is if they knew lines from Buckaroo Bonsai. Yeah, I had a sure. picture of John Worf and John O'Connor and... Uh, I keep forgetting the other one. I keep forgetting the other guy's name. Anyway, I had a black and white picture that I bought at a comic book convention up on my wall and a picture and the Buckaroo Banzai poster on my wall all throughout high school. That's how significant it was. I wasn't into the teen comedies that they were they were pointing at, at teenagers all the time, the stupid teen comedies. I like the general stuff like Back in the Future and things like that, but there was no movie that actually seemed to be written for me and my sense of humor like Buckaroo Banzai was. Yeah. Now, is everyone going to appreciate it? Of course not. Is it going to seem like a confusing mess for some people? Of course it is. Are people going to think it's too stupid and silly to take it seriously? Well, I don't think they were trying to get you to take it seriously. This is one of the most obscure um, homages ever. They're literally paying homage to pulp fiction from the 1920s and 30s. Yeah, yeah. And they change it so much that some of the guys who were fans of that, if they were still alive, may not, nece may not necessarily recognize it, right? But it's the tropes. It's the tropes that we recognized really well. So, um, yes, I love this movie. All the characters are great. Um, this is the movie that made me fall in love with John Lithgow. He's never really played a character like this again, unless you count um, the character he played in uh, Third Rock from the Sun. But even that's a really different character. Um, you know, Jeff Goldblum, Peter Weller, everybody in this movie is great. I love how easily they convey that the Hong Kong Cavaliers have known each other forever and the way they interact with each other, they seem like good friends, right? Um, so yeah, I love this movie. And if you haven't seen it, watch it. You may not like it, but I'm going to say it. It's a classic. And so long as there are nerds that are feeling like no one's talking to them, people are going to discover this movie and f wind up loving it. And so yeah, there. Classic for me. Forever. Steve? <laughs> yeah, I'll go classic. Absolutely. That's damn right, buddy. Absolutely. <laughs> okay, so now's the time where we don't recommend something. Yeah. Steve, do you have a movie you don't want to recommend? I do, and you know, I mean, I feel like we need to bring old Doc Savage down a peg here, because... Uh... <laughs> We've been talking about how Buckaroo is uh, sort of one of his descendants. And, yeah. Uh, and Doc Savage is one of the great pulp adventure heroes. Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, he has not fared quite as well off the page. No. Uh, on the screen. No. And there has only really been one major film to date uh, made based on Doc Savage. Mm -hmm. there, have been there have been rumors for the past couple years that they, they're, they're trying to make a Doc Savage movie with Dwayne Johnson playing him. But, which which okay. I don't think he's... He's he's not who I think of when I think of a physical type for is Doc Savage. Is it be a satire? I have no idea. Dwayne The Rock but, Johnson is Sherlock Holmes. Oh, man. I think The Rock <laughs> should just play all the classic pulp heroes. Um, and then they should do a team-up where he still plays them all. And they just do it like <laughs> Nutty Professor style. Um, no, but anyway, so this is a movie from 1975 called Doc Savage, The Man of Bronze. Oh. Which was one of Doc Savage's nicknames in the pulps. That was one mm. of his sort of, you know, he was like the Batman is the Dark Knight. Doc Savage was mm. the Man of Bronze. Um, and it has another sort of 
commonality with Batman in that it's kind of sort of trying to be like a campy comedy like no. the 1966 Batman, but it just does not pull it off. Why did um, I do this? I don't know. It's, <laughs> it, I mean, it. there are a couple points where it misses by that much, like it, to, to cite another <laughs> classic campy TV show. They have um, done all of these guys wrong. The Shadow, wrong. Oh, yeah. The Shadow, the yeah. Phantom, the Phantom, wrong. <laughs> There is a, so Doc Savage Man of Bronze. It Alan tries Quartermain. To, oh, they've never really gotten Alan Quartermain right, have they? No. Um, yeah. So Doc Savage Man of Bronze, uh, directed by George Powell. Actually, mm. no, produced by George, not directed by George, but produced by George Powell, who did mm. Around the Advent, Around the World in Eighty Days, and uh, you know, hey, yeah, a yeah. bunch, of, a bunch of you know, cool like big budget adventure movies in the fifties mm-hmm. and sixties. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it tries to be Doc Savage, but kind of kind of campy. But uh, it's not it like it it fails as drama and adventure because it's trying to be campy, right. and it fails as comedy because the camp stuff isn't actually funny. No. So it winds up being sort of stuck in the middle, and neither fish nor fowl, and it just <laughs> and it it just doesn't work. Um, and unfortunately, so far, it's the only major film adaptation made uh, based on Doc Savage. So if you're like a big Doc Savage fan, just keep reading the stories. Happy 100th birthday. That's all you've got. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Not a lot of Doc Savage fans. No, on. really. No. Partially because there have been no successful adaptations, and 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 yeah. a, 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 after the first a, a, Doc Savage and a, a lot of the a lot of the the pulp heroes, um, except maybe for like the really really popular ones like the Shadow or something, they never really got a second life. Like Superman no. and Batman and all the superheroes, they've survived for multiple generations. Doc mm-hmm. Savage was never really popular after that first generation. Not really. He's re- he's remembered, but he doesn't have like you know a Sherlock Holmes thing where he remains. Popular popular from generation to generation um so yeah if you like doc savage you've basically got the stories and that's it uh so if you if you watch buckaroo bonsai and you think oh you know this seems like a cool like a a riff on a 1930s pulp adventure hero um there's other places you can go to find stuff like that yeah but uh do not go to doc savage the man of bronze because it is not that good and i do not recommend that you watch it (laughs) Okay, so as you guys know, I like to not recommend a movie from the same year as the movie that the year that this movie we just reviewed came out. So some of this hurts. <laughs> some of this hurts bad. Someone decided to adapt Slapstick. Well, not the best Vonnegut novel, but a Vonnegut novel. <laughs> and they were going to make it a comedy hmm. that starred Jerry Lewis. Oh, God. And then they called it slapstick of another kind. Get it? Kind of like Close Encounters of the Third Kind or something like that. You know, 12 years after that movie had come out. <laughs> they were trying something. They were they were trying something. So uh, remember when I was talking about convoluted <laughs> plots? So here's kind of the plot for this movie. Um, China has a pair of twins that are born, and then all of a sudden China becomes super powerful, and then they shrink their entire population down to an inch in size sure and uh they give a message to the united states saying the most powerful thing in the world is twins and then the most handsome man and handsome woman in the country and also the most rich who of course happens to be jerry lewis and here's the first hurdy part madeline khan oh give birth to 
twins that are mutants. They're freaks. And they're like, we got to put them away in an institution. But they say, no, we'll raise them on our, in the mansion on their own. And then the twins fake being dumb when, in fact, they're super intelligent. It keeps going. They're super intelligent. And this is all happening because uh, aliens, namely voiced by Orson Welles, Oh boy! Is trying to save the human race by sending them these people, these super smart twins that can fix everything. And um, it doesn't. It's not. They leave at the end, and it's so horribly bad. <laughs> it is one of the worst movies I have ever seen. And it's left an impression on me for 23 years. So when I saw it in the films of this year, I was like, oh, good. I can finally get this piece of shit out of my brain. <laughs> Here's why it hurts. It stars Jerry Lewis. Don't give a shit. Madeline mm. Kahn. Mm. Marty Feldman. Mm. And Orson Welles. Oh. The others in it, Pat Morita, Merv Griffin, Jim Backus. Jim Backus doesn't even act like he wants to be in the movie. <laughs> well, he probably doesn't. Jerry Lewis made nothing good. in. Well, he's never made anything good, but it got worse as he mm. got older. Thankfully, he wasn't the writer on this. Oh, but to boy. take a Vonnegut <laughs> novel and to turn it into this garbage. Yeah. Ugh. So if you see slapstick of another kind, here, guys, you can probably watch the whole fucking movie on YouTube. Go ahead and look it up. I dare you to try to watch 10 minutes of it. It's... <laughs> garbage all right oh, so boy. um hey guys jason here and as you know we have a certain uh episode that's coming up in which the viewers choose and that's we've right. gotten some votes in which you guys choose what movie that we're going to do by if you're a patreon patron going to patreon and sending me a message saying please review this movie it doesn't matter it doesn't have to fall into our guidelines of being 10 years old if you want us to do something modern we can do that just put your vote in we've gotten some votes already so you have a little bit more time before the final selection is made so please everybody go to patreon place your votes is this a push to get you to go to patreon and become a patreon patron yes it is it's only a dollar a month that's all we ask it's a good show it's a good show we're 130 something episodes in on this we're, one we're good hard working boys that's right but since we haven't come to a consensus guess what steve oh boy is it time for me to make, make a terrible, a terrible choice. choice oh goody <laughs> Thanks, listeners. The worst idea I ever applied to this show. <laughs> <sighs> because you don't know what I'm going to pick. I know. And neither do I. As some of you guys may know, this is the time where Steve chooses blindly from three related movies. He does not know what those movies are. Mm -mm. I have selected them. Mm -hmm. One of them is good. Has a reputation for being good at any rate. One of them has a reputation for being meh. And another one has a <laughs> reputation for being awful. And I will only give Steve this hint. Natural horror. Ooh, natural horror. Okay. Animals gone crazy films. Gotcha. Uh, a genre yeah. we've never done. Oh, wow. That's right. So don't okay. pick Benji. Uh, <laughs> that, that famous horror film, Benji. <laughs> All right, Steve. A, B, or C? I'm going with A. Mm, 
Okay, good. Oh, good. good. Okay. Good. I, I wasn't sure what that reaction was at first. <laughs> Had you chosen B, we would have watched the definitely famous Deep Blue Sea. Okay. Okay. Had you chosen C, we would have watched the DeForest Kelly classic <gasps> Night of the Lepus. Oh, that's a shame. But you chose A, the high watermark for all of this nature done gone crazy and started killing people movies (laughs) oh boy the movie that we're going to review next time comes from a master filmmaker and it's about a little town that gets attacked by a bunch of birds really Uh uh-huh it's incredible Hmm. movie that we're going to review next is alfred hitchcock's the birds Oh. I haven't done a Hitchcock film in like four years. That's true. That's true. This is going to be good. You know, one I, of these I days. I didn't like the last one. One of these days, uh, since you brought him up a minute ago, we really need to do another Jerry Lewis movie because no. I really want because I really want to spend 90 minutes taking no. the shit on Jerry Lewis no. again. That was so much fun when we did it before. Um, <laughs> no, but anyway, yes. Okay, so The Birds. Awesome. Yay! So, if you guys want to get all the jokes, then please watch the birds before next time. And that's it. Thanks for listening in, everybody. For Late Seating, this has been Jason Harding. And see a movie this week. And this has been Steve Shives. Why is there a watermelon there? I can't tell. It's a secret. I can't tell you why. You said you would tell me later. It's Okay, it's... fine. It's full of babies. Are you happy now? Why are there babies in the watermelon? Oh, jeez. Now I have to explain why baby first. Why is there a watermelon there? Now, why is there a baby in there? Just accept I, it. There are babies I, in the watermelon, and it's in a giant commercial press. What do I, you think we're doing? I promise once you explain the babies, I will not take it beyond that level. Just why are there we're babies? We're making baby watermelon wine. It gets pressed, <sighs> juice. There you go and there's your orson wells connection <laughs> ah, ah the baby <laughs> watermelon wine of upper france <laughs> yes let's end this on a really 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 obscure joke about orson wells there's everyone knows man, about his pee commercial <laughs> there's a man in france who makes the <laughs> finest baby watermelon wine in the world we choose the succulents most most chubby babies. <laughs> we will squash Stuff them into a watermelon. <laughs> we will squash no baby in a watermelon before it's time. And then is trampled by peasants' feet. Feet. <laughs> to bring you the greatest baby watermelon wine oh, that you God. can serve on your table. Orson Welles was really born to pronounce the word peasants, wasn't he? <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Late Seating is a Let Me Listen podcast production featuring Steve Shives and Jason Harding. Produced by Jason Harding. Theme music, Rollin' at Five, composed and performed by Kevin McLeod. You can find more Let Me Listen podcast productions at our website at www.letmelistenpodcast.com. You can also find us on Stitcher, iTunes, or just about anywhere you download podcasts. Late Seating is a listener-supported podcast. If you would like to support Late Seating or any of the other Lemmy Listen productions for as little as $1 a month, please visit our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash Listen. And thanks for listening.